Good morning. He is risen. Well, for those of you who joined us in person and online, thank you for joining us. Happy Easter. I am, if it's your first time, I'm Nathan. Uh, it's my first time as well. I was just jogging by in this this morning and they said we need a preacher and so here I am. So good luck to all of us, all right? There are some things we are given in this life that at the moment we're given those things, we don't necessarily understand the magnitude of what we just received. Case in point, when my wife and I were much more newly married, we're actually celebrating 19 years on Tuesday. Um, Yeah. And she's right there, honey, with you, it feels like it's been a week. I should close in prayer so I don't mess that up. All right, so... Anyhow, when we were much more newly married, somebody gave us this huge box, and and as we're unwrapping it, you know, there's the anticipation, and there's the excitement, and we opened it, and it was a ladder. It was a ladder. Can you just feel the excitement? But as time went on, that ladder grew in magnitude, and it grew in value to us because we moved into a house. And so obviously, all of a sudden, now you need a ladder, right? And, and I, was clean, I use it to clean gutters. I use it to put up Christmas lights, deal with tree branches. Or some of you are going to understand this, put dishes away, right? Because you've you got that top shelf. Like you look at it, you just go, my toes cannot go on, on the tip, tip of the toe. And I cannot, I cannot like expand my spine today. I'm getting the ladder, all right? So anyhow, but this ladder obviously has grown in value to us. And that's the passage I want, I want to take you to this morning. And to be honest, as I think back through my own life, that, that has been Easter to me. I mean, I was taught at a young age what Easter was about. But as I have gone through life, it has grown and become more and more and more valuable to me in a way that it just, it just I, I couldn't quite understand when I was younger. And so let me read to you. A man, a man named Peter was a disciple of Jesus, and he wrote some letters to the church, the early church. And at the beginning of his first letter, he points at the event that we are here celebrating today. Listen to this at the beginning of his first letter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an, and there's a word we're going to camp out on this morning, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Have you ever been, at the risk of scaring my family, have you ever been to the reading of a will? I mean, it's an exciting time for the people that are there. And it's an anxious time for the people that are there because the people who gather in a judge's quarters or a lawyer's office for the reading of a will are really anticipating being part of the inheritance left by the one who had had died. And so there are some inheritances that you read about that are, if you ask me, incredibly misplaced. For instance, there was uh, the, the iconic fashion designer, Karl Lagerfeld. When he died in 2019, he had a quarter of a billion dollar fortune. And we don't know the exact monetary value. But in the will, he included his cat, Chopette. Chopette. And when Karl Lagerfeld died, Chopette, it said in the will, was to have a bodyguard, a bodyguard, a personal chef, and two maids, and an iPad. Yeah, the cat got an iPad. How nice. So happy for Chopette. Okay? 
But, but not to be outdone, there was a German countess who died recently, and she left her $80 million fortune to Gunther, her dog. Yes, Gunther the poodle was $80 million richer when his owner died. See, some inheritances are just, they just seem so misdirected, and they seem so misplaced. And then you have other inheritances. There are those that come with conditions. When Leona Helmsley died, she left her fortune to her two sons. But there was a condition. Every single month, they had to go visit her grave and their dad's grave and sign a guest book that a lawyer would be checking every single month. See, some inheritances come with conditions. And then there are the internal inheritances that we all receive in this life. Because isn't it true, you've got some personality traits that when they come out, you go, oh, I know exactly which parent that came from. <laughs> or you may know exactly which event in life that came from. See, we inherit things from people and from events in our lives, don't we? And then there are, there are those inheritances that, um, that we think about, that we think about we're, we're going to leave our loved ones. I mean, I think about our kids one day. What are my kids going to get one day when I'm gone? And I thought, well, clearly my towering stature and my gorgeously full and flowing locks of hair. And you know what? They're going to get a map. They are going to get a map of all 37 places throughout Littleton, Colorado that I have buried a stash of double stuff Oreos because (laughs) you never know when you're running errands, when you're going to have that craving. And so, kiddos, you can look forward to that, all right? That's all you get right now. So, anyway. But you know, the saddest inheritance stories you will hear, and I remember there was, a, there was a dad of one of the kids we had in the youth group here years ago, and his dad was a lawyer who dealt with wills and estates and trusts. And I remember talking to him one day, and he said, the saddest thing I see, Nathan, are the people who don't show up for the inheritance. That because of a rift in the relationship or a perceived rift in the relationship, they don't show up for the reading of the will. And they miss out on on laying claim to the inheritance that was left for them. See, this is what Peter's doing right here in this passage. He's saying, we are gathering because you have an inheritance. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ actually has resulted in an inheritance from your heavenly father for you. Now, let me just ask you something honestly, not because it's Easter Sunday, not because we're in church right now, but do you believe you have an inheritance? And I don't, I don't mean like far off in the future, you know, we think in heaven one day, but do you believe you have an inheritance right now? See, that's hard, isn't it? That's hard because as we walk through life, and this was, this was just from my own personal journey, I, I remember at a younger age, trusting in what Jesus did at the cross, but it was very difficult for me to connect the dots from what happened at the cross to what happened at the empty tomb. And and it was difficult because of some different things that came up inside of me and in my life. And as I listen to people, this is something that is common to all of us. In fact, if Peter could be standing here right now, I wonder if he would tell us about a few different people in scripture that, that he learned about. Because as he was sitting there one day with the other disciples, Jesus starts telling a story. And, and I want to walk you through the accounts of, uh, briefly, three people in scripture that had access to an inheritance, but they were on the verge of missing out on the inheritance. And it's an incredibly sad deal if God doesn't intervene. One day, Peter and the disciples, they're sitting there and they're listening to Jesus teach, and he starts telling a story about a man with two sons. 
And some of you may be familiar with this story. But the younger son, he looks around one day and he decides to make a bold move. He goes to his father and he says, dad, listen, whatever, whatever you were going to give to me when you die, I'm going to need that now. Because I got plans and I got people to see and I got places to go. And so let's have it. And surprisingly, the father gave it to him. And as Jesus told the story, the younger son went to a far off land and the word he used was squandered. He squandered his inheritance in wild living, squandered it, all of it. And things went from bad to worse. And soon he found himself eating from the exact same trough that some pigs would eat from. And he began to think of better days. He began to remember that back home with his father, even the servants, they were cared for. They had a place to sleep. And they had much better than this to eat. And so he gets a plan together. And he says, okay, I can't go home as a son, but I'll go home as a servant. And I will work for my father and I will earn my way back to a place there. So you know what the younger son was actually saying? I can't, I can't come in to the home as a son because I've done too much. And that's a familiar thought for some of us, isn't it? Jesus keeps telling the story. He gets to the older son. Now, the older son was a total contrast to the younger son. The older son had stayed at the estate, and he had continued to work, and he had continued to be faithful. And we'll get to the the, uh, details in between in a moment. But one day, he hears this commotion inside the house, and he asks his fellow workers, what's going on? And they said, your younger brother, he's come home, and your father's throwing a party. And the older son just goes into a fit of rage. He says, what? I've been here all this time. I've been faithful. I've been obedient. I didn't run off and squander my inheritance. I'm not going in. So you got a younger son who thinks he can't come home as a son because he's done too much. And you have an older son who thinks he can't go in and celebrate. Because not only has the other one done too much, but he's looking at himself and he's going, I've done so much. I've accomplished so much. Now the third person I want to tell you about was actually not in this parable of Jesus, but they had access to an inheritance. And it's a man named Mephibosheth, okay? Now be careful when you pronounce that, it could get you in trouble, okay? But Mephibosheth, and we we meet Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel chapter nine in the Old Testament. And at the beginning of that chapter, King David has taken the throne as the second ever king of Israel behind a man named King Saul. Now King Saul had been Israel's first king and David had, had served under Saul. But over time, Saul became jealous of David and he wanted to do away with him. So he tried to kill David and in the process, Saul died in battle. Now, Saul had a son to complicate everything uh, that David was best friends with. His name was Jonathan. It's a soap opera. These are the days of our lives, okay? And so David's best friends with Jonathan and Jonathan dies as well. And so one day at the beginning of 2 Samuel chapter 9, King David goes looking for anybody that's left in the house of Saul. And you read this and you think he's, he's going to kill him because this is what kings did. They wanted to wipe out any trace of the previous regime. So there'd be no uprising, no coup, nothing like that. And yet, as you read second Samuel chapter nine, David is not out to get rid of Mephibosheth. David is out to make sure Mephibosheth gets the inheritance that was supposed to be his father's. And it would be passed on to him. And so he comes to Mephibosheth and he says, Mephibosheth, I have come to show you kindness for the sake of your father. And you know what Mephibosheth says? 
what does the king want with a dead dog like me? See, Mephibosheth looked around and because, and he looked at himself because when he was younger, there was an accident. And Mephibosheth, his entire life was lame in both feet. And I have to think this created a narrative in him where he looked at himself and it wasn't what the younger son said, I've done too much. And it wasn't what the older son said, that I've done so much. But for Mephibosheth, it was, I'm not worth much. Can you imagine three people all with an access to an inheritance and they're walking around on the verge of missing out on it because they say, I've done too much. I've done so much. I'm not worth much. Does that sound familiar a little bit? Has that run through your mind at some point in life or over and over in life? So we can do this, can't we? We can absolutely do this. And what happens is when we do it, instead of living a life that flows out of knowing we have an inheritance, we live lives represented by these young sons. We run and we look for fulfillment outside the father. And we rely on our own efforts outside of the father. And we reject our worth in the eyes of the father. See, the hardest, these last few weeks, as we've talked about the invitations of Jesus, the hardest invitation for many of us, I would suspect, is not the invitation that comes from the Jesus who walks down the road and says, come follow. And it's not the invitation from the Jesus who carries the cross and says, come closer and carry it with me. I would suspect that for many of us, the hardest invitation of Jesus for us to accept is the resurrected Jesus who says, come in. Come in and experience a life that flows from an inheritance. That's what we struggle with, isn't it? Because we think that the inheritance, whatever Peter's talking about here, we tend to think it got interrupted, don't we? We find a reason to think that it got interrupted. And for a time it did. That's what happened when sin entered the world and it entered the human heart and soul. But this morning of all mornings, I need you to know that God wasn't stopped by that. Because you and I have a heavenly father who, you know what? He insists on an inheritance. And that's what Peter's pointing at here. That's why Peter has gathered the church for the reading of the will. To tell them about the inheritance. And as much as it's easy for us to focus on the actions of the sons in those stories, I love what you see the father do. And in Mephibosheth's case, the king do. Because the younger son, he's got his plan together. He's on his way back home. He's he's got his whole explanation. You know, father, I don't need to be your son. I'm going to work for you. I'll be your servant. And the father sees him from far off. You know what he does before the son can even say a word? He runs to him. And he hugs him. And he gives him a robe. And he puts a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And he says, we're having a party. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, I I love that the son couldn't even get his plan out, but something has intrigued me recently. How'd they pay for all that? How did the father pay for that? Because if this is for the younger son, then it should be paid for out of the son's inheritance, but he squandered it. You know how this got paid for? From what the father had. You get to the older son. and, And as Jesus tells the story, Let me tell you what Jesus doesn't say the father did. It's the very thing that we all want the father to do. See, we want the father to stand on the back porch, look at the older son who's pouting and he's mad, and I get it. How many older siblings in here? 
Yeah, the younger ones always get away with more, right? Always. And so he's out there and he's mad. You know what the father didn't do? The father didn't stand on the back porch and say, okay, you're being a brat, come in. It's time to grow up. You're the oldest, be mature. No, as Jesus tells it, you know what the father did? He went out to him. He went out to him and he pleaded with him. And after the older son made his case, and it was a good, solid case, one many of us would agree with. You know what the father said? He said something that turned everything upside down. He said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Because he had access to what the father had. You get to Mephibosheth. He has no sooner said, what does the king want with a dead dog like me? And I love that King David doesn't even answer Mephibosheth. Instead, he, he calls this guy, he calls a man named Zabah. Zabah was basically the head servant for King Saul when King Saul was alive. He calls Zabah in who had 20 servants and 15 children. And he says, everything that King Saul owned that was supposed to go to Jonathan, all the land, all of it, I am giving to Mephibosheth. And Zabah, you and your servants and your children, you are to farm the land, cultivate the land and gather the crops so that Mephibosheth will always eat at my table. You know what the younger son, older son and Mephibosheth all had in common? They had access to what the father had. That's what they had. That's an inheritance. And we have a God who says, I insist on this inheritance happening. And so for them, he ran to meet the younger son, gave him a robe, a ring, sandals, a party. He went out to the older son. He pleaded with him. He reminded him of what he had access to. For Mephibosheth, it was land, crops, the table. It's not any of that for us. You know what it is? It's a cross and an empty tomb. At the cross, you know what the father declared? Your relationship with me has been reconciled. And because of that, at the tomb, he declares your inheritance that you thought was interrupted is still intact. That's why we celebrate Easter every single year. And we ought to celebrate all year long, every single moment. Because if our inheritance is intact, then we are free from any and all outside interruptions. Now, you get this, right? You walk into a room, and if the light switch is off, I don't know anybody in here who goes, oh man, the power company, it's gone. You don't think that. You know, when the, when the faucet is off, you don't think the reservoir is gone, there's no supply. When the curtains close and you know it's daytime, you don't think the sun, it's gone. But see, we can do this. We can do this with our salvation and this inheritance that Peter's talking about. Now, let me, let me maybe take it to a, a deeper example than those. Because Peter references something. And he says, if you have an inheritance, then you are truly liberated from any of the interruptions that come from the outside. And he points them out in the coming verses. Listen to the rest of the verse that we, that we were finishing up with. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power. You notice he used the word shielded? I mean, that's nice, but it's also like, uh-oh. Like, why do I need a shield? Why do I need a shield? What's he going to say? You're shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And some of you don't even need me to read what's next because you already know what's coming. Not because you know the passage, but because you've had to live through what he talks about next. 
Verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, understatement of all history, though for a little while you've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. See, isn't it true that whatever trial you're facing right now, or maybe your most recent trial, isn't it tempting to think that that trial says something about us? And if we continue to believe that long enough, you know what you begin to think? You begin to think in some form, some version of this, that the inheritance, whatever God has, well, maybe God interrupted. Maybe God doesn't see me anymore. Maybe God took his hand off. Maybe he just doesn't care anymore. See, this is what we do when we go through trials. But Peter says, no, no, no. No, no, no. Because of what happened at the cross and the tomb, your trials have a different purpose. Verse 7. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So you know what a trial does? A trial does two things. A trial reveals something. And what it reveals is whether or not we believe our inheritance is intact or has been interrupted. But more important than that, as Peter says, it reveals someone. It's going to reveal ourselves or our savior. And the reason I brought up at the beginning that this passage is like that ladder to me that it's become more useful and more valuable to me is because as I've gone through life, you know what life becomes more full of? Trials. Trials. And every single trial that comes along and chips away at me, you know what it does? It reminds me that I need more than me. When I get to the end of this life, I need to have more than me to show for me. I need a savior. Peter says, this is what a trial does. So let me ask you, how are you going through life? How are we going through life? Because if you go through life and every single trial just says something about your your, um, deservingness or your worth, then you know what? Every single trial that comes along is only going to weigh on what's inside. But if you have an inheritance, you know what that means? It means every single interruption, every trial on the outside serves to bring out what's inside. That's what Peter's getting at. That's that's what the inheritance does. Now, once in a while, you just come across somebody and you just look at their life and it just says it. And just over a month ago, this church lost a woman that was near and dear to so many here. Joyce Hunter died just over a month ago. Now, Joyce, she was part of the woman-to-woman ministry here at the church, and they would meet on Wednesday mornings. And after they were done meeting on Wednesday mornings, Joyce would come over to the office because her son, John, is our, uh, he's in the leadership here at the church. He's the director of operations. And she would come visit with him. And when she would come visit with him, she would pass by my door. And I remember, this was probably four, I think it was three or four years ago. And uh, she passed by my door, and I knew that she was into running. And so I said, hey, Joyce, I, I started jogging again. See, I've got this love-hate relationship with running, and this is the beginning of the love relationship. And so I said, Joyce, I started running again. She said, Nathan, wonderful. I was like, yeah, you know, I don't recover like I used to, so I'm easing into it. I don't want to overdo it. I'm running like a mile twice a week. She's like, that's wonderful. And then I did that thing that we do, don't we, guys? How much you running, Joyce? 
keep in mind, she's around 70 years old as we're having this conversation. She's like, ah, usually three or four miles. I was like, what? Like, with your legs you do this, Joyce? This is, that is disgusting. What are you thinking? And I thought, hey, as I begin to get a little more insecure, I was like, well, I mean, I imagine you probably only do that like once a week, right? Because of the recovery and stuff. She's like, ah, I usually try to get out there three or four times a week. I was like, oh, okay. You know what? John's in his office. Thanks for stopping by, Joyce. It was good to see you. Yeah, she wasn't done. She wasn't done. And she wasn't even meaning for it to, for it to anger me or irritate me inside. And she was like, yeah, some days just the weather. You know, I look out there and it's not really good running weather. You know, it's raining or it's snowing. But by the time I get to the end of mile two or three, I realize the weather, the weather doesn't control me. I'm fine. I was like, all right. Thanks, Joyce. I'm really glad you stopped by. This has been wonderful. Yeah, and then sometimes, Nathan, you know, I just, the weather's nice, but I just don't feel like running. And so by the time I get to the end of mile two, I am just so glad I did this. And at that point, it's like, Joyce, I don't know why you came by, but you are wrecking my life right now. Okay? Just stop. Go see John. Wonderful to see you. And the irritation, it was not a Joyce issue. You know what it was? It was me. Because I wanted what she had. That when a trial in something as simple as running would come up, and running's a major trial for a lot of us, isn't it? But when something like that came up, you know what? It didn't weigh on her. It brought this thing out, peace. It brought peace out. And while for a while, maybe her trials were running, the trial eventually became, not long after that conversation, cancer. It was cancer. And as some time went on and as the pandemic arrived here in the United States, visits became difficult. And so many of us around here, we relied on the family and her loved ones to share how she was doing. And you know what kept coming up as we listened to them? And you know what was so clear at her funeral just a couple weeks ago? Is that Joyce Hunter died exactly how she lived. Joyce died with the same peace and love and hope and assurance that she had when she walked this earth. And I don't know about you, but as I think about going through life, that's something every single one of us should be able to go, yes, not just do I want that, I have that. I have that. See, that's why we celebrate Easter. Because we live from an inheritance, straight from the Father. Now, specifically, Peter describes what I would say was so present in Joyce's life and in the life of anybody who has trusted in what Jesus Christ did on the cross and who understands that the empty tomb was God's declaration that the inheritance he has for us is intact. Here's what Peter says. He says, referring to Jesus, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. See, as you go through this passage, Peter has highlighted a few specific things that will be present when we live a life from an inheritance that's been, that's intact. At the beginning, he said, living hope. He said, shielded by the Lord, that is divine, eternal security, glorious joy. Living hope, eternal security, glorious joy. Think about this for a minute. 
Do you know what Jesus had in his possession as he walked this earth? Living hope, eternal security, glorious joy. Living hope for every single person that he came across. Eternal security that nobody was going to lay a hand on him. Nobody could do anything to him outside of what the father had willed. Glorious joy, as the author of Hebrews tells us, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So I imagine, I imagine it makes complete sense, hopefully for all of us, that his inheritance, or maybe the will, if we were to sit down and read it, it would say to us, I now give to you what I had in my possession as I walked this earth. Living hope, eternal security, glorious joy. And if you knew that, isn't it true you'd walk back out into the trials completely differently? And that you'd walk through the trials completely differently than we're tempted to go through them? I like to think that the younger son in Jesus' parable, maybe at some point wanted to start a family, go off on his own, went back out into the world, but perhaps he went back out differently than he went the first time. Because this time he would know that there was nothing out there that could give him more joy, more security, more hope than what he had from his father. And I have to think that the older son went back out into the field and he continued working, but this time he worked from a completely different place with a completely different posture than he did the first time around. That he didn't have to earn living hope and he didn't have to earn security and joy. He didn't have to earn favor. As, as Chuck Swindoll said, any work we do once we know Jesus is no longer the root of our relationship with God. It is the fruit of it. It's a work that now blesses and nourishes other people. And I have to think, actually I don't have to think, we know Mephibosheth. He came in and he went to the table. And let me read one sentence of what we know of his life. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. And then they end with this. He was lame in both feet. He was lame in both feet. That is, the situation didn't change. And it's possible that you may walk out these doors this morning and there may be some trials and some circumstances and some situations that may not change and you've been begging and begging and begging for it. But you know what will have changed? Right here. Living hope, eternal security, glorious joy. Because you have an inheritance that God insists is intact because Jesus reconciled our relationship with him. See, this is why we celebrate Easter. Because we've been given an inheritance. And it's not one of these someday in heaven things. It's not. You know how I know? Because of how Peter ends the verse. He says, for you are receiving. Did you catch that? Present tense. Right now. You are receiving now. The end result of your faith. The salvation of your souls. That is, right now, your soul can walk out of here filled with an inheritance of hope, security, and joy. And it's the exact same as what your soul will experience one day in eternity if you have trusted in what Jesus Christ did at the cross. No matter what the news headlines are that have gotten us riled up this last year, hope, security, joy. This is why we celebrate Easter. See, Easter is the day that the Father gave us the inheritance in advance. 
That's what Peter says. You have an inheritance in advance. And so if you're sitting here and maybe this is your first time in church or your thousandth time in church and you've heard, just believe, just believe, just believe. And you've been frustrated because, because you, how do I do that? We're not trying to manufacture belief in you. We're just asking you to stop. And even if you've heard this a thousand times, to stop and consider what's going on right here. What's going on right here? Is God possibly shifting your dependence on your effort and your work and your accomplishments and your whatever it is onto what Jesus did at the cross? And the reason we want that, believe it or not, is not to get some, some sort of numbers up or anything like that. It's because we want you to experience the inheritance you've been given in advance. And when that happens, it's exactly like what I want to tell you about here. I'm going to close with this. I'm going to bring up a name that a couple months ago I brought it up and it angered a lot of people. And so I thought, why not? Let's anger people on Easter. That's a good idea, okay? Tom Brady, okay? Tom Brady. Now, uh, contrary to 99.9% of you, I'm a Tom Brady fan, okay? He played at Michigan. Go blue. Anyway, uh, that's all I've got to hang on to. The basketball team lost the other day. But Tom Brady just won his seventh Super Bowl title. And as Tom Brady won the seventh Super Bowl title, believe me, I'm a fan, but something happened at the end of the Super Bowl that made even me upset. Because Tom Brady, he's, you know, they, they present the Vince Lombardi trophy, the Super Bowl trophy, to the owners of Tampa Bay, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then they hand it to the coach, and then the coach turns and he hands it to Tom Brady. And Tom Brady, for the seventh time, is hoisting this trophy. And, and the rest of the team is down here on the field. And there are maybe one or two guys on the team that because they played with other teams had a Super Bowl ring. But the rest of the team, they've been waiting for this. Blood, sweat, and tears for the, the prior 60 minutes. Blood, sweat, and tears for the last 10 months of their lives. And they're waiting for this moment. And some guys go through the NFL start to finish and they never experience this moment. So Tom Brady's up there, they're interviewing him, he's talking on the microphone for the stadium to hear, the television audience to hear, and his kids are up there, bouncing around. And, and they like, you know, standing on the podium at the Super Bowl is not enough for them, they need more to do. And so they come over to Tom Brady, and they grab the Super Bowl trophy out of his hands. And suddenly, you see their mucky fingerprints in, in, as the light hits the trophy all over it. And at this point, I started talking to the TV because I went, they didn't even do anything. Look, all these guys who just earned it are down here. They're waiting for their chance at, at partaking in glory. And these kids, like his daughter's running around like it's her stuffed animal. And I went, you didn't even do anything for this. And then it hit me. That is exactly the point. They got to partake in glory not because of what they did, but what their father did. Now, I don't know if their dreams are to go on to the NFL and win their own Super Bowl trophy, but you know what that was for them? That's an inheritance in advance because of what their father did. And so as one writer who observed this moment as well wrote in his article, he said, so Vivian Brady, that's his daughter, keep holding that trophy because your moment made your father's moment that much better. That's why if you're here today and you've never trusted in the work of Jesus Christ at the cross, 
and experience the inheritance we're given at the tomb. That's why we bring it up over and over and over because your moment makes your father's moment that much better. And for everybody else in here, here's what I want you to do as the worship team comes back up. Today, when you go home or this week, as you interact with a family member, a relative, you know, a neighbor, a teammate, a coach, a classmate, whoever it is, I want you to say to them, hey, at church, we read the will. We had the reading of the will and your name was called. Your name was called. And when they say, well, listen, I don't, I don't have an inheritance. I don't know what I did to earn one. You know what you get to say? You're right. You didn't. But your father did. Your father did. And so we'll see you next Sunday for the reading of the will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today of all days, full of gratitude and adoration and and just filled, absolutely filled up. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what you did when Jesus went to the cross and when you raised him from the dead. And so I pray that for every single person in here, that we would go out these doors differently. That when we go out these doors, while trials remain, we could look at them with new purpose that we could see that they only serve to reveal our risen, our resurrected Savior. And so, Lord, would you remind us of that? That you've not only, you've not only called us into trials, but you've given us what you have to face them. Living hope, eternal security, glorious, glorious joy. We thank you for your great mercy upon us. We pray all this in Jesus' name.